When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello there and welcome back. You are listening to episode 209 of the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast, a twice-weekly show about intentional and eco-minimalist living. It is 2021. No surprise to anyone, right? And supermarkets are the number one way in which we access food. Even if we're conscious consumers and we're committed to supporting our local farm, let's say, I'm making a bold statement and I'm willing to bet that all of us frequent the grocery store at least once a month or if you're like me, multiple times a week. The first supermarket dates back to 1916, but supermarkets did not rise into prominence here in the United States until the 1960s, and then they quickly became the number one most convenient way to buy food. But the problem here is that the global food system is responsible for up to one-third of all human-caused greenhouse gas emissions, and that makes it one of the largest contributors to climate change. So on today's show, we're examining what the environmental implications are when we think about the convenience associated with being able to buy any food item we could possibly want in our local supermarket at any time. We're also hopefully leaving you today with tangible ways in which you and I can make more eco-friendly decisions the next time we're at the supermarket. Today, I'm speaking with Jennifer McKnight. Jen is the co-founder of Airly a new climate-friendly snack with a mission to reverse climate change through food. Jennifer, I'm really thrilled to talk to you today. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. I would love if we could start today's conversation with you telling us about yourself. I know you're a co-founder of Airly. What thoughts went through your head when you thought about making a snack that reverses climate change? Yeah, so it's been a really interesting journey. So I've worked in a lot of consumer packaged goods brands. This is certainly the first time that I've really worked on a mission-driven brand or company. So really how we got here was we started with a simple question, what if? There's some really interesting technology out there that for the first time enables us to actually measure the CO2 that farmers can sequester in their soil and it enables farmers for the first time to actually monetize that. So to get rewarded for doing what they, you know, the things they should be doing anyway. So we were pretty excited about this as a technology. And really, that's when what if came into it, because we ask ourselves, what if instead of just trying to be less bad, 
we could actually use food to reverse climate change. Now, I know that's a big, hairy, audacious goal, and I know that we may not always get there, but it's certainly been our inspirational mission and kind of what's driven everything that we've done um, to date as we brought the product to life. Well, Somebody from Airly sent me four delicious boxes in this amazing box. I must say the cheddar ones, holy moly, they're so good. <laughs> but let's start this conversation today by talking about what on earth the global food chain even is. I'm willing to bet that some listeners right now, they just head to the supermarket. They don't even think about perhaps where that granola bar came from or all the steps that went into getting it on the shelf. How is food in 2021 harvested, processed, and shipped to our supermarkets? Well, I think your lead into the discussion was really insightful. For years, uh, we were an agricultural society where we basically grew, you know, what our family needed. We grew plants, we had chickens, you know, you tended to have um, your own sources of food on the land that you lived in. You know, as we've continued to evolve as a society, uh, I think a lot of us have gotten pretty disconnected from where your food comes from. And so as we think about global food chain, um, you know, it encapsulates a lot of things. So it's how is the food grown and harvested? How is that processed or made into ingredients? And then how are those ingredients put together for a finished good? You know, think about baking chocolate chip cookies at home. There are a lot of pieces and parts that go into that. You know, the other really important consideration when we think about the global food chain and its impact on the environment is also transportation. So when you think about just the fuel and the transportation that it takes to move those ingredients and those finished goods from the farm to the bakery, to your local retailer or restaurant, you know, it's certainly a more complex world than it used to be. So there's a lot that goes into that. So I already alluded in the introduction to this episode that the global food supply chain contributes to up to one third of global greenhouse gas emissions. And if you stop and think about that number, a third, 33%, that is incredible and not in a good way. Do you have anything to say there? Any other facts or figures to stun me? (laughs) Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, you know, some of that is the fact that every single one of it eats every day. So, you know, it's certainly when you just think about the sheer volume of work that goes into feeding everybody on the planet, that's no small feat. But actually, yes, you are not the only one who is surprised, because I think when we think about impacts on global warming and greenhouse gases, I think we all in our minds start to visualize coal and gas and, you know, much more of like that energy segment. Maybe you're thinking about planes and cars and fuel. But yeah, actually what we eat, depending on the study you look at, is between 25 to 30 percent of the total greenhouse gas emissions globally. So it does, if done right, have the potential to really make an impact. And we're definitely going to get into what you and I and listeners can do to make more eco-conscious choices next time we buy food. We're going to get there. But I should also mention here that global hunger is still a big problem. So we have a food supply chain that is warming our already warm planet, yet there are millions of people who still are hungry every single day. It really sounds like the system is broken. What needs to change, in your opinion? 
Well, I I won't pretend to be smart enough to answer that question. (laughs) Yeah, no, and I think your observation is absolutely spot on. As a society or as a globe, one of our biggest challenges is making sure that we've got food available to the people who need it. You know, on the flip side of that, I, I know one of the things we'll talk about is, you know, some things that we can do to really make a difference. You know, the flip side of the folks who are actually lacking food is, uh, if you look at you know the American culture, just how much of our food actually goes to waste. So I think there's a, certainly a real opportunity for how do we make sure nutritious, wholesome food gets to the right people at the right time. I, I'm afraid I can't pretend to be smart enough to know how to solve for that, though. <laughs> so what's interesting here to me is the contradiction, right? It's like a symbiotic relationship between the global food supply chain and climate change. And that's because while the food supply chain is accelerating climate change, the converse then is that climate change is threatening the food supply chain. (laughs) Do I have that right? And can you provide any insight on that? You do. And it's, it's a good observation. The two are interdependent. And climate change absolutely directly threatens our food supply. You know, it is well documented. If you take a look at NASA or NOAA or anybody out there who's really tracking the impacts around the globe of climate change on us, there's no doubt. I mean, this we're beyond the having the discussion about it. It definitely is impacting our planet and how that starts to translate into food supply. You know, certainly the impact of droughts, you know, we are seeing more extreme weather condition. And when you think about growing enough crops to ensure that we are producing you know, enough food that we need, that's certainly a real concern. Other severe weather conditions. So, hurricanes, uh, rising sea levels, those impact not only animals and crops, but also our supply chain. As we think about how do we actually get the food from the field to your table. So those are real concerns. I'm not a homesteader, but I do have Maybe in 10 years, I'll start taking steps towards homesteading. There's something about the practice that really interests me. And I would say that my natural impulse, or maybe perhaps the natural impulse of my listeners listening to this conversation right now would be the solution is to revert back to that, grow the food for your family, you know, the 19th century way of living pre-supermarket. But I wonder if that is too simplistic of a solution. Why is, let's all go back to growing our own food, not only not feasible, but just not even touching on the problem? (laughs) Yeah. And and you know what? Frankly, I applaud any listener that is out there planting their own garden. You know, that's wonderful. Do it. Fully support it. Unfortunately, the math doesn't work out to your point. We have 330 million Americans just like here in our country alone. And when you start thinking about how people live today, like fundamentally living in the city, it just the math doesn't quite work out how you're going to get those acres of crops when you're living in a Manhattan high rise. So, you know, we've certainly evolved as a community. We have a whole lot more people and we have a very different lifestyle than back when we were in agriculture, you know, in, in those days. The plus side of it, I know we kind of poo poo some of the, uh, you know, the changes, but 
you know, the plus side is we're a whole lot more efficient than we ever used to be in producing good quality food for the masses. So I think it's uh, less about regressing and more about how do we make sure the resources we have right now are used in a responsible, smart way so that we're planning for the future and we're continuing to invest in our farmers and in the soil that they're planting in. I think as we've been going through this journey to build airly, you know, I, I am fascinated uh, learning about just the ecosystem that is soil, the biological system, um, and how important having the right levels of microbes are and having um, the right biodiversity. And so that for me has been one of the really interesting things. So we know what to do. We just need to make sure that we're incenting and rewarding farmers for doing that. Well, we're going to transition this conversation to the practical ways you and I can be more eco-conscious at the supermarket after a quick word from this week's sponsor. I've mentioned on the show before that I struggle with impatience and irritability, and many days by 4 o'clock, I am just completely exhausted. I am running on empty. But I started using Mama Zen at midday, just taking 10 or so minutes to myself to recenter, and it has made a huge difference on the quality of my days. I've noticed that I'm ready to tackle all the tasks associated with dinner time and bath time and bedtime with more patience, and more grace on the days I use the app. I've been using Mama Zen for months, and yes, they are a sponsor of the show, and yes, Mama Zen is so much more than a meditation app. I want you to see for yourself how much better you can feel. Just go to your app store and download Mama Zen. That's M-A-M-A-Z-E-N with promo code Stephanie. The code will unlock your free trial so you can experience its benefits to you and your family. That's Mama Zen with promo code Stephanie. And we are back with Jen McKnight, co-founder of Airly, a climate-friendly snack with the mission to reverse climate change. Where I want to talk to you about that as well, reversing climate change through snacking. That sounds right up my alley. But first, let's talk about some practical tips. What can my listeners be doing differently at the supermarket to live a more eco-friendly existence? Yeah, so I'll give a few different answers. So one of the things that we do on Airly that makes us really different and unique, and to my knowledge, we're the first ones to do this in the food space, is we put our carbon footprint right on pack. And that's actually something, you know, if I had to just point to what is the one thing we can do that will fundamentally change the way food is made, I firmly believe that's that is the number one thing. Just like the nutrition fact panel that we have on all the food that you find at your store today, you know, that helps you make smart, informed decisions around how that product impacts the health of your body and your family. I think we need that same level of transparency around the carbon footprint because I fundamentally believe from everything we've done in consumer research and talking with folks, people want to do the right thing. Uh, they really, really do. It's just today, there's no good way to walk to shelf and understand the impact of your choice. So if we did nothing else, that would be the one thing I, I, you know, I would strongly advocate, and it's certainly something at Airly that we advocate for, is that every product puts their carbon footprint right on pack, because then the consumer can make the informed decision. 
So that would be my first thing is please advocate <laughs> with your local uh, representatives. Like we need to actually be putting our money where our mouth is and putting your carbon footprint on back. Uh, but until we do that, you know, a couple of other really simple things that your listeners can do today. I think we talked about this a little bit earlier. You know, one of them is be really sensitive to food waste. About 40% of all food produced in the U.S. today is not actually consumed. So as your listeners are thinking about making those trips to the store, thinking about how you plan meals and how you ensure leftovers, you know, are planned into the family's rotation can make a real impact. I would say, you know, one of the other considerations, there's a big movement right out, uh, right now to really swap out some some meat meals with vegetarian or plant-based options. You know, that certainly can be a good consideration or a good choice because there's a lot of energy that goes into growing and sustaining animals. I think I had mentioned this one too. You know, the other thing I would encourage folks to do is buy local produce in season. I'll admit I'm guilty about that, too, because I love blueberries year round. (laughs) You know, when you look at the pack and you see that they're actually sourced from another country, it takes a lot of energy because those are generally, you know, flown, shipped. So consider buying local in-season produce. And then I think probably the last thing I would encourage folks for if they're just looking for kind of quick tips that you can do today is don't forget about the packaging. So there's a lot of convenience and single serve, grab and go type items. Uh, but you know, I would just consider are there opportunities to buy in bulk and buy larger sizes and then keep some reusable storage containers on hand just to avoid that throwing out of the single use uh, packaging. So those would be kind of my top five, you could do them today ideas. <laughs> Oh, those are great ideas. And I must say they're ones that I talk about all the time on this show. <laughs> and your response there is a good reminder, especially even to me who has this podcast. Like we've all heard before, eat less or no meat. Be careful of the packaging. You know, be discerning in the supermarket. Prioritize the local produce and don't get the blueberries from Mexico in January, right? Like we know all this, but how many of us listening right now actually practice these tried and true tips every single time we go to the grocery store, right? Myself included. I love a good strawberry in the dead of winter. (laughs) So what I love about your response is that it's a reality check for all of us. We know what to do, but listeners, are we actually doing it? And that's a rhetorical question for all of you listening. Well, and I keep I keep coming back to the carbon footprint, though, because I will say, you know, I'll call myself out. I had no concept, no, you know, when I started this, I will say no concept short of I know plane travel is bad. Uh, no real concept for if I'm walking through a grocery store, how would I compare the carbon footprint for that shelf stable pack of cookies versus, you know, the banana that's sitting there versus maybe yogurt, you know, if I'm thinking about different snacks. And so I just firmly fundamentally believe that consumers want to do the right thing. We just need to give them the information so that they can self-select. And I guarantee you, if they are selecting more carbon-friendly products, manufacturers will make more carbon-friendly products. Right. I mean, think of how powerful it would be if every item in the supermarket had a sticker or a label saying what its 
impact on the planet is or was. That's, I mean, a game changer. Exactly. Well, and it's not to say that I wouldn't still maybe buy those blueberries when I shouldn't, but at least then, you know, I'm aware of it and hopefully a little bit more conscientious of like, okay, if I made maybe a not so great choice here, how do I balance that out uh, throughout my day with maybe making some smarter choices? Hmm. Well, you had mentioned earlier at the start of our conversation that the science is there. The numbers are there. We can now quantify a food item's environmental impact. So talk to me about how you use that information at Airly. Yeah. I, you know, I, I glossed over the fact that it's really hard to do. <laughs> so, you know, when when I talk about putting carbon footprints on packs, so how you actually get to that is you do a life cycle analysis. So what a life cycle analysis is, is you're looking at every step of your production from seed to shelf to estimate um, and calculate what you think the carbon footprint is. So you know, I mentioned we do that on farm. And we work with uh, leading experts in the space. And this really is new cutting edge science. It's not super easy. Like you would think you could just go out and pop, you know, a thermometer type thing into the soil and measure it. It's not that easy. But certainly we have it within the wherewithal to actually calculate on farm levels. And then we'll take that same level of rigor through every step. So We will calculate miles traveled to estimate our emissions through transportation. Um, The baking process, again, we know uh, what kind of energy use the bakery is using all the way through end of life packaging. We've done the carbon footprint assessment for every ingredient that goes into our crackers. And we don't have too many. I mean, we tried to keep our ingredient deck as simple, transparent. They're all things you could find in your pantry at home. But even with that, like there's a quite a bit of work that goes into actually calculating that carbon footprint. But until somebody does it and shows it's possible, it doesn't become easier. So the more people that actually start engaging in measuring and asking questions of their ingredient partners. Um, interestingly, our ingredient partners, I don't think there was a single one of them that's, that didn't say, wow, you're the first one to ask me for this. And I will be honest, in the early days, we actually lost some ingredient manufacturers and had to find others who were interested in partnering with us on this because some said, that's just too much work. <laughs> But I will say one of the absolute neatest things about Airly is now that we are a product and we're real and we're available, those same ingredient partners are now coming back to us and saying, that's really cool. Like now we have people reaching out to us (laughs) and trust me, it was not that way when we were trying to create it. So a long-winded way of saying it's a lot of work, but... I think once we show that consumers are willing to vote with their dollars, that they will support products that you know put this level of investment and commitment into bringing it to the shelf, we will not be the only one on the shelf. And that that's our end game. Like we actually want to be a lighthouse brand that inspires everybody else. So it's our hope and intent that while we may be the first one out there today, that it's not that long before that becomes the norm. Mm. Well, your answer there makes me feel equal parts dismal and hopeful. Dismal because up until now, 2021, nobody's 
ever <laughs> been asking these questions of their farm partners, but also hopeful because you're doing it. So yeah, yeah that's exciting. We mentioned that Airly is a snack food, but we didn't talk any more about what exactly Airly is. So what is an oat cloud? Yeah. So, you know, when we, um, you know, we're looking at this technology, you can imagine we can take these great climate friendly, climate positive grains into lots of different categories. And we ultimately decided to go into the cracker category because it's big. At the end of the day, to make a big impact, we need a lot of people involved in the brand. So cracker category was big. It was you know, snacky and fun, but a little bit more healthy than maybe some of the other snack categories that were out there. So we were designing it. We had a couple of different principles in mind. And the first one was no consumer behavior change. So by that, I mean, we designed it to be a mass appeal product that tastes as good or better than those mass products that are out there today, the leading brands. We are trying really hard to make sure it is where you shop today. So tastes great, available where you shop at a good value. Hmm. Well, you alluded to hoping to be in all the stores, but where are you currently for listeners who just need to get their hands on this climate-friendly snack? Yeah, so right now we're working on building out our distribution. So we are available nationwide to anybody on Amazon.com or AirlyFoods.com. Uh, and then we are working on building out uh, our retailer presence. So right now we're available at Central Market in the Dallas and Austin area. Well, we'll shortly be available at Schnucks if you're in the Midwest. Um, and towards the end of the year, we'll be available in Giant if you're in the Northeast. So, And hopefully we'll have a whole lot more that we're adding to that list over the next few months. Well, one more quick plug. I want to thank you so much for sending me four boxes of your one each of your four flavors. My daughters, they loved the salted caramel, but my favorite by far, hands down, was the cheddar. Jen, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing your insight, and I really look forward to seeing how Airly changes the game. So thank you so much. Thank you. Listeners, I so hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jennifer McKnight, co-founder of Airly. I have linked to Airly and some other good stuff in this week's show notes. If you're interested, you can find the show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 209. I don't think I have anything else to say today, so I will see you on Thursday where I am answering a listener's question all about how to make soap at home. I will see you then and take care.